So last week, Pastor Eric told us about the news that changed everything, the angel Gabriel showing up to the Virgin Mary and announcing that she would give birth to the Christ child, the promised Savior. And uh, anybody need a Bible, just raise your hand as Bill comes your way. We learned that God saw us, that God saved us, that God satisfies us. Well, Mary couldn't wait to share the news with somebody she knew would understand, and the angel had indicated that her cousin Elizabeth uh, was also uh, going to be having a miracle baby, and they're from the same family, and Elizabeth was a lot older than Mary, but uh, she too was pregnant with a, a miracle baby. And so Elizabeth was married to a priest named Zechariah, and it's, uh, we're looking in Luke chapter 1, verse, uh, starting verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. So the time of King Herod was permeated with fear. He was king from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. He ruled with an iron fist. Uh, he was afraid for his life, and he made everybody around him on edge and, and kind of fearful as well. If he considered them a threat, he would eliminate them. He married a princess, uh, Jewess. Uh, he had about 10 wives, but the one that he loved the best was uh, named Miriam, and um, she despised him. Uh, her brother became the uh, high priest and was very popular and uh, had a drowning accident uh, in the uh, 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 royal pool in uh, Jericho when they were on a vacation one time. Herod even had to go back to Rome to explain that one. Um, <clears throat> Miriam gave birth to two sons. They became threats as adults to Herod, their father, and Herod had them put to death. And then finally, he loved Miriam to death as well. Um, he, he had her beheaded. So he, it was dangerous to be in his family and, uh, or to be around him at all. He was uh, afraid of the Romans, he, so he collected heavy taxes to appease them. He wanted to be remembered well, so he built all kinds of uh, stone structures. You can't go to Israel without hearing his name, uh, in he, including a major upgrade and remodel of the temple in Jerusalem. He tried to be nice, but it didn't work. He angered, got angry at the Jewish leaders and, uh, uh, in the Sanhedrin, uh, the ruling body. So he had two-thirds of them killed, and he sold their positions to the highest bidders. He, he feared uh, the position of high priest, and so even though it was supposed to be a for-life job, he uh, turned it into one that he would choose who was going to be the high priest. He was volatile. He was angry. He was dangerous. In the days of Herod, don't carry a lot of, of, of weight for you and for me, but for people like Zechariah and Elizabeth living at that time, it was a time of great fear. And in verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. So that's telling you she, her dad was a priest, her, her husband is a priest, she's, the, she's a preacher's kid all the way around, and then a pastor's wife, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So in this time of darkness and fear, Zechariah and Elizabeth live lives that bring glory to God. They glorified God in their lives. Do you know, we live at a time where there's plenty of fear. It seems that the, the, the darkness is, is ever-present and increasing, and we can live lives that bring glory to God. They loved God, and they lived by the rules, but they have this longing in their heart, an ache that won't go away, because they have never been able to have children, and they have prayed about it fervently, month after month, year after year, it slipped by, decade after decade, and no baby. And they must have asked God a thousand times, why? 
Haven't we been good? Don't you hear our prayers? Haven't we done what all we're supposed to? Are we being punished? Don't you care, God? Why do other people, much less qualified, seem to be having children? I mean, these are all good questions, and we ask questions that way, and godly people still ask God questions, you know, when you're, when you're praying for the right soulmate to come along, and, or when you're praying for a job that would be challenging and fulfilling, and keep the wolf away from your door, or when you or a loved one is dealing with a terrible disease or relentless pain, or when you've loved somebody and, and they've died, and, and the pain in your broken heart never goes away. I mean, sometimes God gives answers to your prayers. Sometimes He says no. Sometimes there seems to be no answer and no hope. What do you do? What is so special about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they did not love or serve God any less when their prayers went unanswered. They wondered if they were unheard. They loved and lived for God himself and not for the gifts that he gave or the gifts that he withheld. They just loved God and served him, albeit with a broken heart. Well, one day, Zechariah's division was on duty in the temple. They, in, in this day, in the time of Jesus, there were so many priests. There were too many. There were about 20,000 priests. And so they were in divisions, and most of them would work regular jobs and then come in and serve uh, when it was their turn. And only one priest would take the incense into the, the, the holies place. And um, so you might get to do that once in your lifetime. Many of them wouldn't even do it at all. But Zechariah is chosen to be the guy. Here he is, this older priest, but this is his big day. Thousands of people out in the courtyard of the Israelites come to see the ceremony and to smell the incense and then have the assigned priest come out and pronounce the blessing on, on God's people. And Zechariah's heart must have been pounding with excitement. And his hands probably shake with a little bit of nervousness. His soul is overjoyed. And in verse 8 it says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar. And Zechariah said, ah! I mean, it says he was troubled. He was startled. He was terrified. Can you imagine if you thought you had the bathroom to yourself, you're just about to step in the shower and you notice somebody standing right there? Wah! That's what he would have felt. Fear fell on him. He's gripped with fear. And the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. This is Gabriel. Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Here he is in the temple in an official capacity, offering the incense and prayers on behalf of the entire nation. He has prayed private, desperate prayers for a child so many years, so many decades that he's given up any hope. Maybe those prayers never even got past the ceiling. Maybe God heard and doesn't care. Maybe he was saying no. He doesn't know. If God cares, he hasn't indicated it till this moment. Your prayers have been heard. A lesson for you and for me. Never give up on God. Just trust him. You can give him your prayers and then just leave them there and trust God and live in the joy of the Lord, knowing that if you're living in the center of his will, he's got you in the palm of his hand. Nothing comes into your life that surprises him, that he will take care of you. He will bring everything together. So God is listening when you pray. Big prayers, little prayers, the little anxious prayers that you cry into your pillow in the dark of the night. God hears your prayers. The angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will turn Many of the he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Gabriel was sent to declare Zechariah and Elizabeth. Although physically impossible for you to have a bat child anymore, you are going to have a son, a miracle baby. Name him John, which means God's gift or God is gracious. John is going to be a joy and a delight to his parents, as well as a delight to the heart of God. John would be everything godly parents would ever pray for in a son. He would be a prophet in the tradition of Elijah who would bring people to God who would reconcile families, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. He's been promised for hundreds of years. So God used the angel to spark their joy. God is good all the time. I mean, God is prepared to honor this godly couple and answer their prayers. But Zechariah's hopes have been dashed so many times that he's become something of a skeptic, a little bit crusty on the exterior. And Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I know? I'm an old man. My, life is my wife is advanced in years. And I think Gabriel got a little irritated. I mean, he answered with a tone in his voice that said, basically, do you have any idea who you're talking to? Look at what he says, verse 19. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I guess it's not bragging if it's true. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Boom, the angel's gone. Now, remember Mary had asked a similar question when Gabriel got to her. And when she's confronted by the angel, she's going to bear the Christ child. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Gabe did better that time explaining the process to her. Maybe her question was more about how. And Zechariah's was more about, can I trust you? Give me more evidence. Anyway, I happen to wonder. I think when Gabe got back to heaven and God says, well, did you get it done? And Gabe just goes, yep. And God said, well, Gabe, I was watching. And I just thought I'd point out that your altar side manner is a little bit <laughs> sharp. You've got uh, some rough edges there, Gabe. I'd like you to work on because you knew my plan, but it was a total surprise to Zechariah that you were even showing up, and you didn't have to be so harsh with him. I mean, isn't there kind of an irony that you are coming to declare to him that his son is going to be the prophet who will declare to everybody the good news of God, and you punish the father by taking away his ability to speak at all? So, I don't know. I think what we see here really is that God has a plan, and he's fitting all the pieces together. And what, why it's impossible to see what was happening from the beginning to people because we can't know the way of God until he shows it to us. It becomes obvious that even in the darkest nights of their soul, when, when they were anguished, God was at work reconciling the world to himself. And he was going to use them in a significant way and they didn't even know it. 
It says, verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. Now, I happen to think, you know, we know that God had promised for hundreds of years that the Messiah is coming and somebody will come to announce that, kind of a, to, to, to present the Messiah. But I think God was doing a few miracles here along the way just for fun. These aren't predicted. They didn't have to be done this way. For instance, like using old people to have a, a baby, a miracle baby. He had done that before with Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. And I think God said, you know, that was a lot of fun back then. Let's try that again and see how Zechariah and Elizabeth deal with this. Let's just let them wait around for, you know, 70, 80 years and then have a baby and uh, see how it goes. And he didn't have to do it that way. And another one I think God did just for fun is, why don't I get Zechariah to win the lottery? And he'll be the priest that carries the incense into the temple on the very day. And then another one God did is just have the angel show up at exactly the right moment in the temple at the time of the sacrifice. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have just told Zechariah and Elizabeth at home, hey, by the way, psst, you're having a baby. Right? But he didn't. I mean, God had promised that the Messiah was coming to the world and that somebody is going to announce him. And they learned that day that his name was John. And God was keeping his promise and providing the Savior Jesus. God's at work. Sometimes we can't perceive what he's doing. We think, so we end up thinking, well, nothing's happening because I can't see it. Well, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's just trust God. Pray and then leave it in God's hands. God's the master of bringing together seemingly unanswered prayers and great disappointments and, and, and bringing tragedies into the picture that makes a perfect masterpiece that you and I couldn't imagine in advance. Well, trust God to make his masterpiece out of your broken pieces. I mean, just give to God what you have. Give God all the broken pieces of your dreams. Give Him your past hurts. Give Him your unfulfilled expectations, your disappointments, and just choose to live in His joy. I was thinking about this. You know, anybody here ever done a white elephant gift where you, have, you can't buy it, you have to go to the garage to find it, right? Anybody besides me? And you go out there and you find the, the, the most useless piece of junk, right? And you wrap it up in a pretty present, right? You ever done that? And then you go to the party, well, I was thinking about this. You know, you could actually do a gift exchange with God this Christmas. You could take all your hopes and dreams, all your, your, the, the heartbreaks that you've had, all, all the things that didn't work out the way you were praying and hoping, and wrap them up in a nice, pretty box and go put it under his tree. Well, not those. Those are pretty trees, but maybe this tree. Huh? And do it a gift exchange with God. Because he's going to trade you for his salvation and for his forgiveness and for his mercy and for you having a privilege to serve him and joy. He's got all kinds of good things. He wants to swap you for the, the thing that you're going to give him, which is really what he wants is your heart. In whatever condition it is, he'll take it. God is still at work in this world in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the promised Savior. He's our greatest hope. He's our only hope. And Zechariah and Elizabeth's baby was going to get to be the voice to announce Jesus to the world. 
So let's read about his birth. Look at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. I mean, this birth was not most about Elizabeth having a baby while she was well advanced in years. It's not about the fact that she knew the, the gender of the baby before he was even born. The birth is about the mercy of God. Look what God has done. So late in your life, Elizabeth, and yet he's so special. I mean, the neighbors and relatives were talking about God and what God had done. They shared her joy that God had done something special in her life. Her great hope had finally been fulfilled by God. Elizabeth's life was all about declaring God's glory. And that's what he calls you to do and me to do as well to declare his glory. See, Elizabeth interpreted what happened in her life as an act of God. Was it a miracle? Maybe. That wasn't the point. The point was that God cared, God saw, God acted, God was involved in every aspect of her life. So John grows up to be this great man of God. Without a doubt, he had a head start by a mother who believed that from the moment of conception and before, God was central in her life and in her son's birth. So look at verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, well, there's nobody on your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking all about these things. Everyone heard this, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. See, when Zechariah and Elizabeth named their son, they called him John, God's gift. The child was always to be considered a gift from God. I mean, these parents were to serve God and to help their boy become, to fulfill his unique destiny. So Zechariah, who had been punished with not being able to speak, had nevertheless communicated clearly God's plan and God's name for their baby to Elizabeth. He used his quiet time to prepare his heart for God's blessing. He didn't waste those nine or 12 months or whatever it was that he was without words. He didn't waste it feeling sorry for himself or harboring angry feelings towards God. He got his heart in the right place. Kind of like the guy that was a Baptist pastor that decided he wanted to become a monk. So he went to the monastery and said, I'd like to be a monk. They said, well, you know, we practice solitary confinement here and silence as a discipline. So we're going to have you take 10 years, and at the end, you'll get to speak two words. But, but till now and then, you'll say nothing. So for 10 years, he said nothing. At the end of 10 years, they said, what would you like to say? Two words. He said, food cold. <laughs> they said, well, you need some more time, obviously. Let's give you 10 more years. So 10 years later, 20 years into this, they said, what would you like to say? Remember two words. He said, bed hard. I said, well, 10 more. So after 30 years, I said, what two words would you like to say? He said, I quit. <laughs> he said, we knew you would. All you've done since you've been here is complain. <laughs> Zechariah was 
on the far other extreme of that, to say, I'm going to take this time to prepare my heart that when given a chance to speak, what's going to come out of my mouth is what's in my heart. And it, it was a song. It was a song of praise to God. Let's look at it together. Look at verse 68. I mean, here they're together for, a, for, the, for the circumcision and dedication of the child. They've been at the temple. They probably gathered at the house for the party. And uh, Zechariah says his name is John, and he begins with praise. Verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. I mean, this is a song of worship that begins with God, praising God and calling him by name. It's, I mean, it's a normal pattern for our worship. Our times of worship are designed to praise God, not to focus on who's up here doing the leading or the musicians or are we being entertained. You know, when we walk out of the worship service, it's the praise of God that we want to have on, echoing in people's minds and on their hearts and on their lips. If we leave thinking, well, let's see, who was up front? How did they do it? It was different than usual. I'm not sure I like it. Or what who? What were they trying to say? Or did you see how impressive that instrumentalist was? Or uh, uh, the beauty of the building or so Then we fail. Because our focus is to be on God. We want to walk out of here so full of God that we can barely remember, was anybody else even here? I mean, if so, then we've succeeded. Zechariah got it right. When given a chance to speak, he said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? Because he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. In other words, God always keeps his promises. God's given us promises, and he keeps them. You look back, and you'll see God has always been faithful to us. So you can trust that's part of his character. God is going to do what God said he's going to do, and he's going to do plenty that he didn't tell us about. He will be faithful. He will keep his promise. So Zechariah sang with words of praise for God's promises, promises many that had been fulfilled, especially the promise of sending the Messiah. I mean, this is amazing because Zechariah here is at the birth party for his son. His son is the one that everybody's ooing and eyeing about sitting there on his mother's lap, his own son John. But he spends 80% of his, of his song, 80% of what Zechariah had to say when he could finally talk, wasn't about John. It was about Jesus. Now, I think Mary was still there. She went to Elizabeth's house when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. said she stayed about three months. She probably would have stayed through this party. So Mary is there pregnant with Jesus while Zechariah is saying all these things. That John, you see, was going to be the announcer, but Jesus was the Savior. And he hadn't even been born yet. Jesus is promised to be the Redeemer, the King, the Leader, the Friend, the Savior, and a whole long list of other titles. And one of the references for the Messiah is the horn, which is a sign of great strength, like you would think of the horn, say, of a rhinoceros, representing its strength. I mean, godly people have waited for generations for this leader from God to arrive. And Zechariah's prayer has been heard. It was personal. We wanted a baby. But the blessings that are coming from this one baby are going to offer joy to everybody in the whole world because God's in it. He talked about preservation in days past. He keeps singing. Look at verse 71. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God has faithfully protected us in the past. 
God has kept his promises. What he said to Abraham in 2000 BC, he has accomplished 2,000 years later. Now, this is a good praise to offer. I mean, have you ever praised God that you've lived so long and you've survived so many things that God has never failed you? Not yet. And he never will. You could praise God for what went right. And you could also praise God for what didn't go wrong. That's what Zechariah is saying. He also says God has a purpose. Verse 74, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God has saved his people and protected us for a purpose. God lets us live so that we can serve him. So we can bring him glory with our lives. So we can serve him without fear and with holiness all our lives. And so in his preparation, Zechariah realizes that his miracle baby is going to be the voice to announce the Messiah. And he's excited about it. Verse 76, he says, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. John's mission is going to be to call people to repentance. Prepare your heart for God to live there. Zechariah is rejoicing over something that uh, he personally would never see because of his age. He wouldn't live long enough to see John become the prophet of Israel. But he's rejoicing and investing in future generations having an opportunity to get right with God. That's visionary. Versus, there's even people in the Bible who think, well, huh, if that's after my lifetime, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Rather than saying, I'm going to be somebody who's going to invest in a future that I won't even get to see because I want there to still be a godly, righteous witness on this earth. Zechariah said there's joy at God's gifts. He concludes his song of praise to God, talking about God's gifts to God's people. Our God is so faithful, so generous. Look at what he says. To give his people this knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. I want to lift out four things from this little passage that he says. Salvation. God wants everybody to know how to get right with God and be saved. God wants everybody he's created to come to Jesus for salvation. There is no other name in heaven on earth whereby you must be saved. There's no one else who can save you from your sin and from death, from condemnation and from hell. Jesus only. But knowledge of salvation is not enough. God grants us forgiveness because sin is terminal. It will kill you. And the only way to get rid of sin is to accept God's forgiveness. And it's only offered through Jesus Christ. That forgiveness guarantees salvation. So do you know why God forgave you and offers you salvation? Do you know why? I'll give you a hint. It's nothing about you that stands out. It's nothing about you that's so attractive or puts you ahead of anybody else. It's because of God's great mercy. It's because of God. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. God treats us with tender mercy. He's not harsh. He's not out to get us. He doesn't desire for us to get what we deserve. God's always on our side. He's that loving parent who's saying, wow, I've helped you over and over and over, my son, over uncountable hurdles in your life, but look at the mess you're in now. Should I bail him out one more time? Yes, because I still love him. I still love her. They're mine. And so God does. 
Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So God gives us salvation and forgiveness and mercy and he gives us guidance. Out of God's mercy comes God's light like the sunrise when we're lost in the darkness, when we're tripping around in the dark, when we're in the shadow of death, God shines brightly from heaven and gives us guidance so that our feet will be directed in the path of peace. God is trying to guide your life. And when you follow his guidance, you can let go of a lot of the fear and just be filled with his joy. See, Zechariah's last recorded words were joyful praises to God and words about living for God. What do you want your last words to be? You think about it, you say, oh, I got a lot of time to worry about that. Well, there's not a guarantee. So you got to think about how do you want your life to end? Then you need to live that way now. What would bring you the greatest joy? Can you imagine somebody on their deathbed as you lean over to catch their last word and they say, I want you to know I made a lot of money. No. Or, do you know, have you noticed I drive a really nice car? Those things pale. As Christians, as fully devoted followers of Christ, our desire would be to end life with the great satisfaction that we served God well. And we would say like Zechariah, praise be to the Lord. So allow yourself to be filled with the joy of the Lord this Christmas, to recapture the true purpose of Christmas, to direct your life so that you declare his glory. Let heaven and nature sing. Shall we pray? Dear God, we pause before you, and I thank you for this, your word. Maybe there's somebody here who needs to say, I've never received that salvation as a gift from God, but I need to do that today. Even as other people are leaving, you come up and pray at the foot of the cross or up here on the steps. Somebody will come and pray with you and introduce you to Jesus Christ so that you, along with the rest of us, can say in your heart, praise be to God for his unspeakable gift who brings joy into our lives and in this world. And God's people said, amen.